Amen. Now for our second sermon. <laughs> Thank you, Judy. We're in Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 this morning as we're looking at the second seal and the second rider of the horsemen, the four horsemen. And I encourage you when you find that. Revelation 6, verses 3 and 4, our text, if you will stand in our great God's honor, I will read the text. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word of the coming events, we are grateful for Jesus. And uh, Father, I pray that we might be reminded of what awaits a world in rebellion against you, the living God. And may it make our hearts tender and soft to be yours and to let people know there is a way out. Father, as we look at this particular writer, I ask Holy Spirit, you continue to move in our service. And Lord, just that we might hear from you. We thank you for being with us. You have promised that. And Father, we pray you work among us and beyond us. In Christ's name, amen. It was July 13th, 1977. <laughs> At exactly 8.37 in New York City, lightning struck. And when lightning struck at a power station on the Hudson River, two circuit breakers were tripped and there was a loose locking nut which delayed an upgrade cycle and a breaker from reclosing. And so the city was in a desperate place as far as electricity was concerned. And then, would you believe, lightning struck again. And this time, approximately 20 minutes later, there were even more transmission lines that were affected. And as a result of that, at 9.36, approximately an hour after that first lightning strike, New York City was in darkness. And then people amazingly came out of the buildings and were so sweet and kind to help shopkeepers close up their shops and to show um, just great courtesy. I made all that up. That's not what really happened. What really happened was chaos. There were people who began breaking into stores and looting the stores and taking out expensive items. And then there were looters that looted looters. And by the time the night was over, there were people who had lost their lives. And there were uh, 1,600 stores looted. 1,037 fires started. And over $300 million of damages that would end up being filed by those stores. When it went dark... And there was no apparent accountability. People lost their minds. 
And yet, that's just a small picture of what happened back in 1977 of what will happen. As this second seal opens, as this second rider comes upon the scene, as we read about in our text this morning, this second rider, he is described as the red rider, and the word literally means fiery, blood red. And so he is upon a horse that is blood red, and God is about to unleash through this rider some horror horror-stricken war on all kinds around the world that uh, in the battle that will ultimately end up in the battle of Armageddon later on in history but this is to open up this time of suffering this time of tribulation matter of fact it's interesting in the oldest teaching of the apostles that we still have um, called the didactae there is a quote in there of those who, although they suffered great suffering and persecution, they did not believe the time of suffering they were experiencing was what was being discussed in the book of Revelation, but that it was a future event. I want to read to you from the Didacte. It says, For in the last days the false prophets and corruptors shall be multiplied, and love shall be turned to hate. For as lawlessness increases, they shall hate one another and shall persecute and betray. And then the world deceiver shall appear as the Son of God, a false Messiah, and shall work signs and wonders. And the earth shall be delivered into his hands, and he shall do unholy things which have never been since the world began. Now, as this hoarder, this horse, this rider appears on the sea, he is a rider that brings war and death. And obviously, history is filled with wars and examples of, of wars that have occurred. Uh, one writer had said that there have been more than 2,000 wars fought. This was since the 12th century. And now, uh, up to the 20th century, there's been recorded some 13,000 wars that have occurred throughout history. One author estimated there have been 10 billion people killed. In the various wars as they're combined. In World War One, one of the generals, General Doby, received a comment from one of his men. I want to read to you what he shared. This was in 1916. <laughs> General Doby's man said, Sir, this is a funny war we're fighting. The Muslims won't fight on Fridays. The Jews won't fight on Saturdays. And Christians won't fight on Sundays. With a twinkle in his eye, General Doby responded, Well, if you can't... If you could just find four other world religions that refuse to fight on Monday through Thursday, you will help solve the problem of world peace. And yet, as you put together all the various wars uh, in the last century alone, 37.5 million died in World War I, 45 million in World War II, the Vietnam conflict, up to a half million soldiers. And then we can continue to add the various wars since then. As Plato, the thinker, once said, only the dead have seen the end of war. We know that there's wars and that there's rumors of wars, but this is going to be a great time of fighting. It's if you could put all of the other wars together and combine them. This is the writer who enters the scene. And the first writer brought peace. It was a fake peace. This rider brings war that transforms and attacks 
throughout the world as there's great suffering from this war. And yet it was permitted. This writer in, in all of the agony and the war and the bloodshed that is brought. He is still on a leash. Still under the control of our amazing God. And all of the peace treaties that have arisen from all of the past wars. They have certainly not held. And neither will any type of peace treaty is this writer enters the scene. Now, um, as we think of this writer, there is a war that is described in Ezekiel 38 that I want to make reference to this morning. And Go ahead and turn to Ezekiel 38 because we're going to make a comparison here. This particular war that mentions Magog and Gog, or present-day Russia, some have said this is Armageddon, this is the last war. But I want to look at some differences that say, no, this is not the final war, but rather it is the one of the first wars that come upon the scene in the tribulation. And looking at some differences here, just as I kind of march through these here, first is how the invaders are destroyed. As you look in uh, this first war, as we read in this scripture in Ezekiel 38, uh, we see that destruction occurs through earthquakes and hailstones. Then when you get to Revelation 20 in that final great war, God just sends down a, a massive huge fireball to destroy all of those. And so there's that difference. Furthermore, dead troops that are buried for months in Ezekiel 38, 9 verse 12 we read about that it says for seven months the house of israel will be burying them in order to cleanse cleanse the land but when we read in the final stages of the book of revelation there is the great white throne judgment that commences and the dead are raised to stand before God. So there is that stark difference. Another difference that we read about in this battle that's recorded in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It talks about there's going to be a burning of weapons over several years. But at the end of this battle in Revelation chapter 20, we will have the commencement of the millennial kingdom. As there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, there's a new kingdom that will, of course, come forth as God moves and as He works in His creation and in His ways. Matter of fact, in Ezekiel 38.8, Ezekiel states that this invasion of Israel, of this prophesied war that comes at the beginning of the tribulation, it's an invasion of Israel that will come at a time of peace and rest. And we think about Israel, peace and rest, they're never at peace and rest. They're always underneath some type of coming war or some type of enemy who wants to destroy them. The last time they had peace was during the Babylonian captivity. And so, but in Scripture here, it talks about that this war will occur at a time of peace. How does that happen? It's from that first writer who has come declaring peace. The Antichrist who has come upon the scene. Who is able to proclaim a peace that people buy into. Now I want to look at the allies in, in uh, 
this battle here. The, the battle of Armageddon involves the whole world. But this first battle, there are six allies that we discover as we look in Ezekiel 38. I want to just kind of march through these um, as we discover who they are. First, in Ezekiel 38, we read about in verse 2, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Meshach and Tabal, prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against you, O Gog, chief priest of Meshach and Tubal. So the first ally that is described here, that is mentioned here, is a coalition. I have a footnote here at the bottom of my Bible, verse 2, of the prince of Rosh. The Prince of Russia. This is a clue of Russia. Present day Russia is one of the is the first ally that is mentioned, that is described. Next coalition member, and we get some help here with Magog from Josephus, that first century historian that's so often quoted outside of biblical truth to the history of that time. And Josephus described the Scythians. As inhabiting Magog. That's Central Asia. That's part of the former Soviet Union. Or modern day Afghanistan. Is also a part of that region. That is filled by more than 90 million Muslims. Many of whom are dedicated to destroying Israel. Who are natural enemies of Israel. Third coalition member. Third ally that is mentioned in Verse 5 is modern-day Iran or Persia. And I just want to read some quotes recently from the president of Iran and his obvious disdain for Israel. He says, Israel is heading toward annihilation. The regime is rotten, a dry tree that will be eliminated by one storm. A new Middle East will prevail without the existence of Israel. The Zionists and their protectors are the most detested people in all of humanity. And the hatred is increasing every day. The nation of Muslims must prepare for the great war so as to completely wipe out the Zionist regime and remove this cancerous growth. A fourth member of the allies of this coalition that's that's mentioned in verse 5 here is Cush. Now, Most scholars believe that Cush is the modern-day Sudan who actually housed al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden in the early to mid-1990s. Obviously a natural part of a coalition that would be against Israel. Number five. Notice it is mentioned in our text here in verse five. Put. Ancient Put or modern Libya. Another place filled with jihadists and extremists that want to see the destruction of Israel. And a final member that's mentioned here in verse 6. There's actually several states that are mentioned. Um, It says also, verse 6, Gomer with all its troops and Beth Togerma from the far north with its troops. The many nations with you, which would be present day Turkey. Turkey, who is seems to work hand-in-hand in, hand in a lot of cases with Russia. And according to 
Ezekiel's prophecy, all these nations are going to come together and they're going to come to attack Israel. And, you know, honestly, just looking from the outside, it, it doesn't look like Israel has a chance. Israel is so far outnumbered by these other countries that have closed in. And obviously the old devil, he's looking and he'll be hoping that they'll crush Israel. The one from which the Messiah is to come to conquer him and, and to, to be victorious. And obviously you would think there'd be many within Israel whose knees would be knocking. As they would be frightened as these any enemies will close in upon them. But look in verse uh, 19, 18 and 19 of Ezekiel 38. This is what will happen in that day. Knees might be knocking, but it's going to change. In 18, 19, he says, When God attacks the land of Israel, my hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. In my zeal and fiery wrath, I declare that at that time there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. He says, The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, every creature that moves along the ground, all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. The mountains will be overturned. The cliffs will crumble. Every wall will fall to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog. On all mountains declares the sovereign Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. I'll execute judgment upon him with plague and bloodshed. I'll pour sulfur down on him and on his troops and on the many nations with him. And so I will show my greatness and my holiness. and will make myself known in the sight of many nations. They'll know. That I'm the Lord. So, so just a recap of all that. Uh, verse 20. There's going to be an earthquake. On the scene. Verse 21. There will be a coalition. As they come against Israel. They'll turn against one another. And they'll actually destroy one another. In verse 22. It talks about plagues. The torrential rain. Hellstones. That, that will arise. And then finally a great fire. God is going to intervene and he's going to protect his people against overwhelming odds. Because as the scripture says, if God's for you, it really doesn't matter who else is against you. One plus God is always a majority. Now, as I look at all this, just a couple ideas as I come to the near the end of the message here. There doesn't appear to be any mention of us. So what about the United States? Where's the United States and all of this stuff? Well, just a couple of possible ideas that I throw down here. Uh, we don't know. It doesn't say for sure. So, as I say, it's all speculation. I won't say divine imagination. But just a couple of ideas throw out here of what possibly happened. First, maybe they were caught off guard by the decimation of the rapture. It'd be great. People taken up in heaven. I mean, you know, it's going to be kind of crazy. One day these people will be gone and there's going to be some holes to plug up. There's going to be some leadership places to fill, hopefully. I mean, maybe that's a possibility. Another possibility, multiculturalism has broken the connection with Israel. Man, that would be a sad day. If it comes to a point where all the leadership in our nation, in America, does not side with Israel. Has lost sight of a heritage with a holy God. And with the Lord Jesus Christ. But that 
That is a possibility. I mean, none of these things are beyond imagination. Uh, or how about this one? Preoccupied with on riding. Because there's so much chaos, it'll be each man for himself. I'll get what I can get, regardless of if it's legal or not. Maybe a possibility in all the chaos of all the war. Or maybe America will no longer be America. Maybe we'll belong to other empires, other nations, and America will be broken up. It's hard to imagine, but it could. It could certainly happen. It could certainly be a possibility in what awaits as this second rider enters the scene. As there is war and there is devastation that comes to us. Omar Bradley wrote these words. He said, uh, We are in a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. As we look around us and we see the chaos even at this moment with North Korea and Iran, and there is certainly the capability of devastating war even at this moment. And as many of our world leaders strive to have a peace treaty or strive to stop a possible war from occurring, there is one peace treaty that is even more important. It is the peace treaty that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ to us. The Bible says that we're all at war against God because of sin. Uh, there's a verse... It, it always amazes me. Um, I think it's Ephesians 2, 3. I'm not sure. But we're described as objects of wrath. That's because of sin. And, and a holy God doesn't look upon the sin. And, and you say, well, that sounds like God doesn't love us. Yes, He loves you. He sent Jesus to die upon the cross. And to take your sin, regardless of being an object of wrath, an enemy of God, God did everything He could to redeem you, to buy you back. And that peace treaty is one you dare not miss. And it is one that should always be spoken of when we meet. Because without Jesus and His work that was finished on the cross and that is available to every person who submits himself and herself before Him, when, if your knee bows and your tongue confesses Jesus is Lord, then you're restored. That is the hope. That is the peace treaty that He ultimately brings. As it records in Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in that hope. Hope that was provided on a cross. That's not where it ended. He went to a grave for a time. But that grave could not hold him down. As he rose from that grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And you know, I love it. The scripture goes on to say, he's praying for us there. Isn't that good? Let's pray. 
Father, as we come to you, Lord, uh, as we look at what will occur, Lord, the second rider and the wars. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, who provides a way for us to be right with you. Father, I, I do not wish for anyone to be in rebellion against you, God. That is a battle. That is a war that none of us can possibly win. And even the evil one and all of his devastation is on a leash. Can only go so far. You are still the one in control. But Father, why miss the obvious peace and forgiveness and escape that you bring by way of the gospel? And so, Father, my plea is that no one here will miss the greatest peace treaty of all. That Jesus Christ provides forgiveness to everyone, regardless of what they have done, regardless of any kind of trespass or breaking a law or a crime, any sense of regret. It can all be forgiven. It, it can all be rendered powerless because of the cross of Christ and because of the ultimate forgiveness that comes, that is evidenced by the resurrection. And Father, your promise is that we too will be resurrected one day because of Jesus. And I just ask, Father, that Lord, that just be clear to everyone here. Father, we don't want to leave here and miss that important message. As we stand, as we sing, as we respond. Father, as there is an altar to come to, it's all about the gospel. And uh, I just pray, Lord, we would say yes to whatever you are asking us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.